Hi, welcome to Conversations with Musicians with Leah Roseman. In episode 10, season 1, I spoke with the wonderful violinist Aaron Schwabel. He currently holds the positions of Concertmaster with the National Ballet of Canada Orchestra and Associate Concertmaster with the Canadian Opera Company. He's also a member of the Lark Ensemble and the Rosebud String Quartet and is a founder artistic director of Echo Chamber Toronto, a series that merges chamber music and contemporary dance. In this conversation, we talked about a lot of his experiences growing up in terms of his development and his career and his reflections on this pandemic time. In separate bonus episodes, you can hear him play solo Bach, and we also do a little improv as well as a bonus episode. All of these episodes are available in video format, and the link is in the description. Good morning, Aaron Schwabel. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Leah. Thanks for having me. So the jobs that you have that pay the bills is that you're a concertmaster of the National Ballet Orchestra of Canada and associate concertmaster of the Canadian Opera Company Orchestra. Yep. So you spend a lot of time in the pit in a normal year, but not during this pandemic. Exactly. Yeah, I've come up for air. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I spent a lot of time at the Four Seasons Centre. We're really lucky. We have an absolutely beautiful hall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've been there for probably seven years now, maybe even eight at the ballet at least yeah Mm -hmm. and this summer i believe you have some live chamber music coming up or maybe not live but i do (laughs) yeah um it's it's sort of a it's it's something i'm really looking forward to um it's we've all been waiting for these kind of opportunities Mm -hmm. uh, performers and audience and um whether or not we'll actually be able to have a live audience is still to be determined. Um, everyone's keeping their fingers crossed. Um, but uh, the Ottawa Chamber Fest invited my um, my little series called Echo Chamber Toronto to give a performance, um, as well as my string quartet, the Rosebud Quartet. So mm-hmm. um, we're coming to Ottawa August 3rd and 4th. Um, we're really excited. We're going to play the Inescu Octet with um, the Ironwood Quartet with mm-hmm. um, three dancers choreographed by Hannah Keel. And then my quartet's going to play some Haydn and Beethoven the next day. Um, we're also playing a fantastic piece by Carmen Braden um, called The Raven Conspiracy, um, also choreographed. So we're really looking forward to all of that. So the performance with the Rosebud Quartet is also with the dancers? No, it's actually just uh, just a standalone okay. um, two-dimensional performance. No, I'm kidding. And you were very involved as a string quartet player in university, more than most people. From yeah, I loved string quartet. I thought that it would be my career, my future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's as much of my future as um, my current um, positions allow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I played in a quartet at um, McGill University called the Roddick uh, Quartet, um, named after the Gates, not the tennis player. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, we we actually went to the London competition, the London Quartet competition in 2009, which was sort of like the big leagues for us because, you know, we were still teenagers at that point and, and so we worked furiously um and prepared some some repertoire for the competition and i think it was our first uh, kind of real foray into the world of of professional string quartets and we we met people who've been doing this for many more years than we had and, and we got a glimpse into what kind of life it was um both um the good and the bad like both how incredibly exciting it is and and performing in some of the world's greatest halls and um, with some of the world's greatest musicians. And uh, um, obviously the repertoire, everyone loves the string quartet repertoire. I mean, you, you 
we're, we're spoiled for choice and but also like the life of a touring musician can be really challenging so mm -hmm. so we learned a lot um from that experience um and then at indiana i played in a group called the kuttner quartet which is a it's sort of a rotating door quartet position where quartets audition and and so we did that and so i i i felt like i could kind of exercise my quartet muscles a lot in university which was great did um, you have experience as a teenager with chamber music before you went to university none <laughs> wow really okay none my first quartet was my first year at mcgill university me too but i thought um, maybe you were <laughs> no i was a, a late bloomer um but i I fell in love with it so quickly. It was um, Opus 18, number three was my very first, Beethoven was my very first string quartet. When um, I was at McGill, I remember our, it must have still been Marcel Saint-Cyr who was the main coach when you were there? He was still coaching a little bit at McGill, but he okay. was not the main coach. Um, we coached with um, a few different uh, people. I, my f very first quartet coached with Andrew Dawes, actually. Okay. He was a guest faculty at McGill. And um, we did a lot of coaching with Andre Bois. Um, he was sort of our main coach eventually of the Roddick Quartet, and um, but I mean there was such a great faculty at McGill. Like anyone who we wanted to play for, we we could, and and we got a lot out of all the all the various faculty. It's just when I was there, um, so it was my first string quartet experience, and he insisted that all of us only play Haydn string quartets for two years. Like I mean, it which was great training. Did you get through all of them? <laughs> no, 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 but you weren't allowed to move on. No, no, you, it was very yeah. slow progression. Yeah, of course, just, yeah. But just all the, yeah, it was just an incredible education. It really is. I, I, I still love playing Haydn. The quartet that I play in now, we, we do a lot of Haydn. Um, it's, and I think people love hearing Haydn. It's, it's kind of got everything. Um, uh, yeah, but I remember at McGill, like we, the the process was really different like we really really took it apart and really um kind of got deep into it and nowadays you just don't really have time <laughs> you know you have so many other things to do but um for better and for worse it's it's um i i think in, in certain senses it's it's great to just kind of um not overthink that kind of process also mm -hmm. I want to ask more about the Rosebud Quartet, but I just wanted to circle back to the String Quartet competition. I know it was a long time ago, but I'm wondering what you remember of it. Like how many quartets, how many days, a little bit about the process. Um, do you mean when we started? No, like at the competition. Um, oh, it was the Roddick Quartet. Yeah, I know. Um, um, oh, sorry, I, I thought you said Rosebud. That. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't, I, I want to ask you about the Rosebud Quartet, but first I just wanted to circle oh, back yeah. to London a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we put so many hours into it. I think none of us were really expecting to get in. And when we did, it was sort of like this immense excitement and also like, okay, we have our work cut out for us. We knew the kind of level of the groups that were going in there. And again, we were 18, 19 years old. So mm -hmm. um, we just kind of put our noses to the grindstone and, and, and worked and tried to get um, the repertoire up to a professional level. And um, you know, for me, it was my second year playing string quartet. So there was, there was a steep learning curve. Um, but for all of us, there was like, that's that steep learning curve. And so, um, we were like a family back then. We lived, breathed, ate, played together. It was, it was our lives were about that for about six months. And um, you were still balancing school or did you lighten your load? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, we were balancing school. I mean, I don't know if we were balancing it well, but yeah, we, we, were, we were doing our best. Um, I think it was just an opportunity that none of us wanted to turn down. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was intense. Um, I think that we, we got an awful lot out of it. I think, I think we also came away from it knowing that we wanted to have a little bit more balance in our lives. Like we don't want our lives to be entirely about um, rehearsing string quartets as much as we love the music we were playing. It, it, it can become like quite unilateral. And, and I think even as students, we realized we needed balance and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I mean, that's also, I mean, this is a whole segue into another conversation topic, but the, the subject of competitions in general for mm-hmm. people at a young age. Um, and we were not, that young but as a string quartet we were young like as a string quartet we were only a year old and so like i think that it's great to have those goals but framing them in the context of um relativity which is the nature of a competition um can be difficult for organic growth if you know what i mean yeah um and so that's something i took with me also was just um what like what kind of environment um is is the healthiest for growth and learning and Mm -hmm. and i think in certain ways like seeing other groups um who were five years ahead of us in that in that profession was incredibly Mm -hmm. useful um and there was a lot of good that came out came out of it um but you know competitions can can reorient your brain in a way that you have to kind of just unravel afterwards or, or you know just remember why you're a musician remember why you're doing these things remember you know i just kind of have your sights set on your own on your own goals rather than um a jury's mm-hmm. and with your quartet now the rosebud quartet do you all live in toronto uh not currently we we've kind of taken turns living outside of toronto um right now our violist keith lives in edmonton Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he, he's, um, he's accepted a job as principal viola of Edmonton Symphony, um, mm-hmm. but he's taken some leave from his position at the COC. And so, um, we might end up being a long distance quartet, um, which other groups have done before. So it's, yeah. it's, um, it's in, in certain ways it's challenging, but, um, you know, we also have another city to go perform in. So, mm-hmm. um, that's sort of nice. And besides, we all have orchestral positions, so we're not rehearsing every day anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so let's talk about balance. So during yeah. this pandemic, everything shut down so suddenly, such a shock. So how did that affect you as a musician? Um, I think all of us were unsure when this was going to end. Yeah. Um, the ambiguity of the timeline really um, was the thing that was sort of on the top of my mind. Um, what I mean is that I, if I had known that it was going to last for three weeks, mm-hmm. my activity would have been one thing. If I had known it was going to last a year, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think that because in the beginning it was so unknown, I tried to just kind of occupy my time in, in a way that was, um, less goal oriented and more just kind of like maintenance oriented. Like I practiced, I didn't really immediately undertake big projects like Mm -hmm. learning a concerto or anything like that. 
Um, I, and then, and then as we saw, um, that this was going to be taking longer and longer to overcome, um, then I started to think more about, oh, what, what are those things that I've always wanted to do, but haven't done yet? Um, and then there were the moments where you wondered if we'd ever return back to the hall. And, yeah. <laughs> and so I, like many other musicians started to kind of get my wheels turning about other career possibilities and whatnot and um so i feel like the pandemic kind of unfolded in three different stages <laughs> like the first one was just this sort of um imposed hiatus um you know and so it was a time to cook fancy meals a time to binge watch you know your favorite show a time to uh, catch up with old friends um play some video games things like that, you know, and obviously practice, but, um, without practicing goals, it was just sort of this like aimless practice where you just played for the sake of playing and, and it was really enjoyable. Did you um, say obviously yeah. practice, but I don't think all musicians, like, I think some people stopped for a while. I didn't, but. Well, I thought that I was going to have to, like, I originally thought this was going to be three weeks, um, completely naively. And, um, so I wanted to keep my chops up Yeah. and, um, when it looked like it was going to be, I think, I think it looked like it was going to be six to eight months for some time. I mean, again, this isn't my naive, completely non-scientific world. Um, and so, so then the goalposts changed a little bit and, and yeah. And in terms of maintenance, like as a violinist, is, do you have go-to routines or... Did that get changed up? Um, I, I am not a typical violinist. Like I don't have etudes or scales that I really do. I, mm -hmm. I sort of spend my time practicing thinking about the concepts and principles of violin playing. Mm -hmm. Like I'll think about um, technique and posture while I'm playing, but I don't really um, isolate those principles in an exercise. Mm -hmm. um, I will... I, I think there are certain pieces that I practice that just sort of um, necessitate thinking technically, you know, mm -hmm. and, and so I devote that time while I'm practicing it. But when I've sort of achieved what I want to achieve, I just try and let that go and, and, and just be a musician. Do you have favorite pieces you like to practice for fun? If I'm practicing for fun, probably... Bach or just some quartet parts actually like I might mm -hmm. pick up a Beethoven quartet and just fiddle around with the violin part yeah um yeah. and in your life as a concert master you have of course at the beginning especially there must have been so many notes to learn with all these unfamiliar scores yeah um yeah I mean the the ballet repertoire is huge especially for yeah. concert master solos and so mm -hmm. um yeah I kind of had to get my fingers around the Swan Lake, Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Um, we also do, you know, like Vivaldi, Four Seasons, Prokofiev, um, First Concerto and things like that. And so, and I mean, the, the sky's a limit with dance because choreographers can choreograph anything they want to. And, and that's sort of what led me to start Echo Chamber actually, mm -hmm. was just imagining certain pieces of music with a physical component. But um, you never know what's gonna pop up in the ballet repertoire. Sometimes it's, um, something you would never expect and uh, and um, and that's one of the perks 
So that piece with the Prokofiev, because we did that in Ottawa with James Ennis's yeah. a pretty young soloist at the time in the pit playing the solo. So you've done that within the National Well, Ballet. I haven't done it with a ballet. I did it with another orchestra just sort of to prepare myself because I also sometimes the repertoire can um, come sort of short notice. I mean, obviously there's a, um, a period which, which, um, we won't get it in a shorter period than 60 days, but, um, but I, with concertos, I want to have them under my fingers before For sure. it's announced. And so I, I just learned it before and, and it hasn't come up since I've been there, but, um, I hope it does. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. the Vivaldi Four Seasons you've played as the soloist? Yeah. Yeah. We did that, um, a few years ago. Uh, that's a James Goodalka ballet. It's fantastic. Wow. I'd love to see that. Yeah. It's just really beautiful. And you played with our National Arts Centre Orchestra many times in many different capacities. Because when you first started playing with us, I believe you were part of our apprentice program. Yeah, yeah I was. I That was in 2012. And I uh, sat next to Eddie Skerink. Yeah. And um, it was great. And then I started subbing. And then I auditioned and was a member for like a couple months before mm -hmm. I joined the COC. Um, I mean, you know, I have an absolute huge fondness for the NAC and anytime I can, I, I love coming back. Yeah. And I mean, you've also played guest concert master and guest principal second with us. So you've really sat all over the violin section. Yeah. I took the full tour. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask about your upbringing a little bit. I, I think you were a singer as well. Oh, I, <laughs> I would never call myself a singer, but I, 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 singing lessons I was part of a choir um, I sang until I was about um, 13 when my body sort of um, plunged me into a new register and uh, <laughs> and I, I couldn't really do it anymore and I just gave up but um, I loved singing yeah I sang in the Toronto Children's Chorus and I had a great singing teacher Brenda Burge who um, encouraged different styles of music also and so that, that was really fun mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And um, I believe you have uh, been pretty serious about a couple of martial arts in your life as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, relative to, to people who do this full time, not serious at all, but it, it's sort of like a, like a hobby sport, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I also haven't done it for a year and a half because of the pandemic, but I was um, taking Muay Thai classes for about a year and a half or two years before the pandemic started. And it was a great, uh, speaking of balance, that was a great mm -hmm. um, balance mechanism in my life, um, both physically and mentally. Um, it was great to show up somewhere where um, you have to be more disciplined than in music. Like it was, it was all about discipline, but um, learning how to move your body in different ways. It's sort of also um, related to, to music that way or to violin. Um, uh, it was great exercise. So I felt um, more kind of on top of my own life mm -hmm. um, doing that. And um, it was a really nice community at that gym also. It's called Crudar. And, and I met a lot of wonderful people there. The coaches were all first rate. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. I miss it a lot. And um, as soon as we can gather again indoors. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go. I'm it's very careful with my hands though, just for the record. Yeah. 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 
it's hard, you know, as musicians, most musicians I know don't have hobbies. And most of us, it's hard to maintain friendships outside the music world because we have weird schedules, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of things that are like different, but then we have this wonderful, you know, companionship with musicians all over the place. We have these commonalities that for sure. We're really lucky. Uh, I mean, I don't know other people who go to work and share an office space with some of the people that they're closest to. I mean, some of the people I work with, I've known for most of my life and I've, I've been through a lot with, and I've, I've shared very meaningful experiences with. And so, um, on one hand, I mean, it is also your workplace, so it's, it can become like a, like a double dipping, you know, like where it's your social life and also your workplace. And so that's, that's, um, another layer of challenge, I suppose, just to try and compartmentalize, but, um, being able to go to work and see, see some of those faces is, is really a luxury, I think. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the pandemic experience for you and reassessing priorities, how has that affected you? Um, that's a big question. I, I think everybody's priorities have shifted. Um, I think I can answer that in two different ways, like personally and professionally. I think professionally, um, music as my career, as a means of, um, giving people meaningful experiences or, or, um, either as like a tour guide through these pieces of music or as a, um, um, an entertainer, you know, there's, I mean, there's so many roles that musicians play, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think the most important thing is that, um, you connect with the people you're playing for. And, and I think that it's now we sort of have to really think more about how that's done. I think the concert experience, um, is going to change. And, um, I think the music that people want to hear is going to change. And so I've been trying to keep my radar open, my ears open and, um, and just sort of think a little bit about um, what kind of experience I can proctor as a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, is that sort of what you're asking about? These are open questions. Very open-ended. open-ended? <laughs> yeah. okay. um, personally, I've felt really... Um, I feel like in this pandemic, it's been an opportunity to become closer with the people who I care about. Mm-hmm. And um, not that I wasn't before, but it was sort of um, like a fill in the cracks sort of thing. Like, and um, not by design either. It's sort of like when you're in the prime of your career, like you, you say yes to everything and, and you, be, you and you can become a little bit um, narrow-minded about, um, not narrow-minded, but like with, with blinders on um, just about sort of, diving headfirst into every every project you can at least I mm-hmm. dive headfirst into a lot of things and and I think being able to have time to spend with my family my partner my dog you know just like unscheduled time has been something I really want to prioritize more mm-hmm. um yeah also just to like we haven't been able to travel at all but mm-hmm. I've been able to travel in my own city and like, that's been really nice because I haven't 
I didn't do as much of that before the pandemic. Yeah, just appreciating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. We live in a very work-oriented society, which is not, um, that's not a criticism. I mean, people have to work, you know? Um, but I think that um, there's also this fear that if you kind of stop doing things, you're going to be forgotten about. And I think that's sort of a little bit universal in the music world. Um, like relevance is important to, to all of us. And, and I think that being able to let go of that is, is a good thing. And it's, it's sort of, um, it's, it's like a, a gift to yourself. I think that sounds really cheesy, but it's true. <laughs> During the last few months, I've been in contact with a lot of adult amateurs, some of them new to violin and some of them coming back to it or who kept playing through other careers. And it's very inspiring because I think music has meant so much to many of us during this time when we can't hear music live, but to be able to make music yourself is so great. And I believe you've been involved with a couple of festivals which combine professionals and amateurs together. Yeah. Um, the Toronto Summer Music Festival has a community academy. Mm -hmm. um, people who play, um, I'm going to use, they use the word amateur or maybe, anyway, the word amateur is, is sort of like a coverall. Some people play at a very high level. Mm -hmm. um, some people are not as advanced, but it's, it's a space for people whose music, uh, whose main career is not in music to come. Yeah, that's what I mean by amateur. They're not. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, some of these guys can really, really play. Um, mm -hmm. It's amazing. It's really impressive and very humbling. Um, and also the, I went, I went to the St. Lawrence Academy, the St. Lawrence String Quartet Academy once, and, and they had a component also for adult amateurs. Um, and it's wonderful. It's a really great environment to connect with people who um, have music in their life and who um, share that common uh, you know upbringing I guess um, but who've gone in different directions and um, I think one of the things that is really still prevalent in the music world is this idea that you have to be only a musician you know and and I think these people show us that um, you that's that's not true you can be whatever you want to be and also a musician mm -hmm. just because it's not the thing that is paying the bills does not make you less of a musician and um and so that's that's really neat to be able to interface with with people who've who've gone down down those paths um, i think a lot of people in the pandemic have done that also like I, I think that right now we're redefining what it means to be a professional musician it doesn't mean it's your single professional activity mm -hmm. Um, especially for people who, I mean, as orchestral musicians, we have the luxury of a of a full-time job or, or like a position, you know, that's stable. But if, if you're a freelancer, if you're, um, if you don't belong to an institution or an organization, then, then you're not tethered to anything. So uh, why not um, take on more, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't make you any less of a musician to, to, have multiple vocations. Mm -hmm. And when you were um, a student, did you were there summer festivals you attended that really uh, had an impact on your growth? Yeah, I uh, I would say probably the two that come to mind are NYO and um, Domaine Fourchet's Chamber Music Session. I think those really defined mm -hmm. um, me as a musician and also what I love, what I what I strive to have in my life. Um, NYO is such a powerful social experience that, um, and, you know, also just like the 
grandeur of orchestra. Like it was my, I think it was my, NYO was my first orchestra actually. So it was my first time sitting among so many other musicians and, and it was a rush. Like there, it was constantly buzzing. I mean, the music was amazing. Um, the experience was so intense and exciting um, that the music kind of like became about that experience. And um, uh, so, yeah, it, it, it made me really enjoy um, orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, just being able to connect with so many people at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and Domaine Forget's chamber music session was just really all about the music. And it's such a beautiful place um, in Charlevoix, Quebec. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, again, you know, late nights reading quartets and drinking whiskey in the barn. Um, it's really fun. And uh, it's some of the most um, joyous memories I have playing music. And so those those really stayed with me mm-hmm. um, and realized like how how great a life of, as a musician can be. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously, um, you know, as you get older, like it's, it, you're no longer a student. You, <laughs> your life has more responsibilities and such like it becomes a job like any other and I think the challenge is to retain the thing that makes you love it and that makes you um, feel alive um, because that's why we go into music yeah actually, and, that's why I went into music of course yeah and actually I mean coming back to the pit people may not realize like how often do you play the Nutcracker Ballet let's say every Christmas season 26 is I think the number yeah it's a lot it's yeah it's a, it's lot. a, it's a workout and I, I think like the like nutcracker season is very challenging mm-hmm. you know in some ways it's very easy because you know the piece by memory at, at, after a few years you know and but it's challenging to um show up in the pit with a fresh um conscience and a fresh um a fresh attitude um, and not just treat it like, you know, okay, I'm brushing my teeth or something that you do every day because, you know, you want to give people a, um, the experience that like maybe it's their first nutcracker or maybe it's their first time ever hearing an orchestra or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I mean, we're also not necessarily the main event, you know, that like everyone knows the music and it's in, it's in inextricable part of the, is that the right word? Mm-hmm. um part of the um production but um we're not on stage so it's even easier to kind of lose sight of um the audience and why they're there mm-hmm. um but yeah it's it's tough i i usually try and take a few off just to um stay fresh mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i was also curious we have a, just a couple parallels in our lives because we both went to mcgill university and then we both went to indiana university for our masters I found it a real culture shock coming from this vibrant city of Montreal going to Bloomington. And it's such a different music school as well. How did you find that transition? Um, good question. I think I, hmm. The environments were certainly different. I think when I was a student at McGill, I, I, I felt like I was really living in Montreal. And when I was a student in Indiana, I didn't really feel like I was living in Bloomington. I felt like I was 
at like a boarding school like yeah. you know it was like a, like a, just a huge university and um like my day-to-day -day was just being surrounded by other students and teachers and um at when i was at mcgill my day-to-day -day often was just as a civilian of the city mm -hmm. yeah um uh yeah i don't know i mean they were both really pivotal i'd say for different reasons mm -hmm. Well, when I was at McGill, I mean, things that might have changed because we're different generations, but like the orchestra had a real sense of camaraderie. It was like McGill, you know, symphony it was like big deal. Everyone was in it. But then when I went to Indiana, there were like seven orchestras and it seemed <laughs> kind of random, you know? Yeah, that's that's true. Um, it's sort of like a bit more of a factory that way. But um, yeah, I, I played in the chamber orchestra at Indiana, so I, mm -hmm. I escaped a little bit of the... Um, the the big factory orchestras but um yeah i don't know i i i only played in the orchestra for a year actually because we did the quartet after mm -hmm. yeah um but yeah there there were a lot of violinists at indiana <laughs> i don't think i met all of them i think there was 270 or so when i was there yeah 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 and speaking of students so you do a little bit of adjudication and master classes and that sort of thing or do you also teach regularly private students i can't imagine you have time i do actually i okay. um i've never had more than two students at a time but i i love teaching and I'd, I'd actually love to teach more but um i i don't think i'll ever teach a ton of students just because unless i make some career changes mm -hmm. um it does take a ton of focus and and um, currently I have one student and I, I, um, he's a very talented young violinist and I, I dedicate a lot of energy and thought and time to it. So, so it's, it's, it's beyond the time I mean, teaching is, it goes beyond the time that you actually spend with the student. That's right. Yeah. Um, as you know, um, but, um, yeah, I, you know, I'll, I, I give master classes when I'm asked to or adjudicate, and it's it's really nice to connect with um, musicians of that age of that generation, um, and um, to be able to offer them something from my life, from my experience. Um, yeah, it it means a lot to me to be able to, you know, send the elevator back down. That definitely. And do you find there's some pieces of advice that keep coming back whenever you're doing these master classes or adjudications? Uh, I think that um, it really depends on the student. Some students need to hear different things. Some students mm -hmm. need to focus more. Some students need to zoom out a bit and, and try to enjoy what they're doing a little bit more. Um, it's really hard to um, just kind of streamline advice to young people. I think everyone is, is different. Everyone's needs are different. Um, I mean, just thinking back to my own education, I remember when I was 15 or 16, I definitely needed to focus more. Mm -hmm. But when I was 22, I needed to chill out more and just <laughs> you know, and so like it, it's it's always shifting when you're a student and also as a professional, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. this pandemic definitely did that to me and other people just it definitely reorients your priorities. And for students, um, sometimes you don't even know if it's what you want to do full time. And so um, I think the big question is what role 
do do, do these people want do these young people want music to take in their lives um and so i try to guide them towards that mm -hmm. um towards um being able to make their own decisions about that um and also offer any um advice along the way and and um i mean that's just about the the life end of it not the actual violin mm -hmm. end of it but um yeah i mean i i learned a lot from playing with other people so usually that comes up a lot in master yeah. classes just learning how to listen is a huge skill mm -hmm. um it's something that you don't really learn until you play with other people how can you you know yeah. and so i mean learning how learning how to listen to other people while giving your best is is i think what chamber music or, or any ensemble is really all about um and knowing what your role is within that ensemble like sometimes you have to lead sometimes you have to um, be led and so 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 that's something that i think you really learn from experience and so i i usually spend a lot of time encouraging people to have those experiences mm -hmm. well and um very soon people can hear your chamber music um yeah so thanks so much for, for joining me today. It was really interesting talking to you. My pleasure. I'm happy to talk with you, Leah. Hope to see you again in person soon. Yeah, definitely. Um, have a great summer. Season one of this podcast had 20 episodes, and season two continues with a really interesting mix of musicians talking about their lives and careers with perspectives on overcoming challenges, finding inspiration and connection through a life so enriched with music. Please follow this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about each new episode.